Happy Easter to you all. And if we haven't met, my name is Casey, and I'm in the dark. <laughs> hey, it's good to be with you. Uh, while uh, they, they get that uh, communicating, I want to welcome those of you that are new with us. And uh, for those of you that are new online or with us in the room, we're so grateful that you allowed us to be a part of your Easter weekend. For those of you in the room, just want to let you know that we have a gift for you being with us today. If you'll take that Connect card and take it to the welcome table at the back right in front of the soundboard there, we'd love to give you a gift for being with us. Our host will be there, and we'd love to uh, just tell you thank you in person for being with us today. But we, as Westside, want to welcome all of those that are new online as well as those that are new in the room. Will you do that with me, Westside? Let's do that. Let's make them feel welcome. Yeah. Yes, thank you so much for being with us. We hope that this, if this is your first time, it's the first of many times. And uh, it, we are in this series called One. Actually, we finished this series called One. And if you're new with us, this has been a neat thing that we've done together as a church family. We have joined um, uh, hundreds of other churches here in Kansas City and hundreds and almost, uh, I, I would say thousands or maybe thousands of churches around the world from four to six different countries around the world are joining together. We've been going through the book of Mark together. And today we finalize this journey together and we get to do this together, not just here, but with them around the world. And it's been a great experience. Now, how many of you have had an experience in your world to where you said, this is just too good of an experience not to share. And so this is maybe what drove you to, you know, share that, write that story down, post it on Facebook, or you have an experience with your kids, your kids do something just totally cute. And you go, you know what? I, I need to remember this. So you write it down, you let your family know, but but you just share it. Now, this is one of the reasons I love Facebook. It's about the only reason I really love Facebook because I'm not on Facebook in, for any other reason other than when my wife will show me, hey, this is what happened a while back. You, remember, you know those memories that you post and, it, and Facebook reminds you of what happened last year, this time three years ago, now five years ago, and if you're older like us, maybe 10 years ago, <laughs> depending on how old your um, Facebook account is. Well, this is what came up yesterday on our memories. I, I just want to share this with you. Um, this is our third youngest son, Jet, helping us mop the floor. Yes. He's very effective. All floors. He is for a hire. He's got three years under his belt. And, um, and you can just talk to me. I've got a great rate that we can loan him out to you. Um, I hope he's not in the room and think, Dad, what are you doing to me? But, uh, you know, memories are great. Facebook memories are great. Now, before we had Facebook, before we had computers or even camera phones uh, or cameras on our phone, or before we had a text message that we could share, or the internet for that matter, um, we actually had to talk to people to share our story. Do you remember that era? Maybe you didn't grow up in the era like I grew up. I mean, we had rotary phones. I still remember rotary phones as a kid. But we had to talk to people to share our story. And this is exactly what it was in the first century. In the first century, they orally shared their experiences with other people. And if, they, if, they were, um, if, if it was such a meaningful experience, they would write it down, not just for them to know, but so other people would know. And if, if they couldn't write it down, they would pay somebody to have it written down. And in the first century, there was a man named Peter who had an incredible, incredible experience. He was a disciple of Jesus, and as he experienced his life with Jesus and he saw what Jesus taught and saw how dem Jesus demonstrated who he was, it was an experience that he knew was too good to not share. 
And so Peter shares his story. And one of the people that he shares his story with is a travel companion named Mark, John Mark, actually. And John Mark later would say, this message is too good. This story of what Peter experienced in Jesus was too good not to share. And Mark writes it down. And it became a viral thing in that day. It was passed around from church to church. They would copy the letter. They would copy this account, this story, this narrative, this gospel. And they would distribute it one to another. And the beautiful thing about Mark's story is Mark's story is, is one that was was one that shared the good news of Jesus. In fact, he opens his letter saying, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark presents Peter's account of Jesus' story in a way. And through this narrative, he presents it in a way so you as the reader and those can experience not just what Peter experienced, but you could come to the same conclusion on your own that Peter did, that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. And in this, Mark would write his story in such a way that tells you, he just jumps on the scene with Jesus' ministry. He talks about Jesus being baptized and how Jesus would go into this wilderness, this desert area, and he would face temptation. And he would, Jesus would face all the temptation, temptations that we would fail in, temptation, every temptation that you and I face, Jesus would face in this, and he would face Satan head on. And he would do this to start his ministry and he would overcome all those temptations. (laughs) And we would find out at the end of the story, he would do all of that for us. And Jesus would begin his teaching, and he would teach unlike anyone else. I mean, his teaching was so different. It was with an authority. People would ask, who is this that teaches with such an authority? And he would not just teach with authority. He would demonstrate his authority to teach with miracles, with signs, with wonders. People who were blind would see, deaf people would hear. Lepers would be cleansed and made whole. Again, dead people would come back to life. Jesus would turn bread and multiply it for thousands of people and yet there was this utter this this subtle cry amongst the people going who is this Jesus who is this Jesus because this was the question of the day in fact I think this is still a relevant question that our people in our culture are asking who is this Jesus that you speak of who is this Jesus and while Jesus would demonstrate his power and his authority his teaching would answer that question as to who he is, because his teaching was all about the kingdom of God, a kingdom where he would have the authority as king, and a kingdom that was God's kingdom. It wasn't any kingdom. This was God's kingdom, and in his teaching, Jesus would claim two drastic, drastic things, two radical things. One, that he was the king of all and that too he was God. And Jesus would teach about his kingdom and, 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 and the disciples didn't understand this. In fact, the people of this age didn't understand it. Yes, they understood the Messiah was to come. They, they believed this deliverer, this son of man, this son of it was, man was to come and, and, but, but to, to, to be God too. They didn't understand that the, the Messiah would also be God. They didn't see the parts of the scriptures where God would be Emmanuel, God with us, that this would be the suffering servant, God himself. And the disciples didn't understand what kind of kingdom he was setting up. He, they didn't understand what kind of king Jesus was because the disciples, maybe like you and I, think of king and uh, a kingdom and, and being king like in our in a, in a very earthly ways. Because we see those 
who are the most important are the ones who are being served. But Jesus would say those in my kingdom who have the most authority, who are the most important are the ones who serve. And in Jesus' kingdom, it wasn't about being in the first place and at the head of the table. See, in Jesus' kingdom, his teaching was so radical, so different, so otherly than the way we live and we want things. See, in Jesus' kingdom, the last, the oppressed, the overlooked, the forgotten, the abused, they would be the first in his kingdom. He's a different kind of king. He's a different kind of king, and he would demonstrate the power of his kingdom in a different way. See, he wouldn't demonstrate the power of a kingdom, of a king that would gain his authority through war and violence. See, this wasn't the kind of kingdom he was setting up. Jesus would demonstrate his power that he would have, and he would leverage all the power of God to serve. He would serve the people that are a part of his kingdom. He would serve them and free them of their sins by forgiving them. And that right there, that right there is the reason we come to the scene in Mark that we come to. Because in this, no one could forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus was claiming to be God. I am king, yes. But more than that, I am God. The religious hierarchy of this day would cut a deal with Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, to hand Jesus over after a cultural festivity that they were about to celebrate and observe. And after this time of feasting was over, Jesus leaves the table, goes with his disciples, all except Judas, into this garden named Gethsemane, and he would pray. There he would, one more time, knowing that what was to come would be the most horrendous thing he would ever have to go through as a human being. And he was doing this for the people. And in this, Judas turns Jesus over and arrives with a crowd of people armed for war. (laughs) But Jesus doesn't fight back. In fact, Jesus doesn't resist this at all because Jesus' fight isn't against people. Jesus' fight wasn't against them. Jesus' fight was against Satan, evil, sin, and the curse of sin, death. Jesus' fight wasn't against humanity. Jesus' fight was for humanity. And you might have felt that Jesus and God is against you, but Jesus has a, Peter's story is that Jesus' fight isn't against you. Jesus' fight is for you. So they turn Jesus over to the chief priest. The chief priest then questions Jesus because if they can get Jesus to plead guilty or prove he's guilty, then they can carry out their plan to eradicate Jesus' threat to their religious system. And so they begin to bring in witnesses who their case doesn't really line up for each other, but they do make some claims that Jesus actually said. So one of Jesus' claims that they bring up is that Jesus said he would destroy their temple of worship and in three days he would rebuild it. And they were like, who do you say you are that you can do such a thing like that? And then the chief priest would ask Jesus what he has to say about this. And we read this in Mark 14. He says, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? 
And Jesus said, I am. Now, really, Jesus? I mean, think about it. This is one of the most tense moments in, in, in his life. And, and he's standing before the high priest who, who is there to determine whether he lives or dies. And in this moment, he doesn't answer, but other, any other way than I am. I am the same phrase, the same words that God would reveal himself to Moses when Moses would ask God, who do I tell these people of Israel that you're going to, that, that sending me to them to deliver Israel? And God reveals to Moses, I am sent you. That's who you tell them sent you. And Jesus, to the chief priest who followed the law of Moses, answers, I am? It's like a death wish. But to him, this was his identity. He is God. I am. And more than that, he says, and you will see the Son of Man, which is a title for the, 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 the deliver the Messiah that we read about in the Old Testament. And you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of power, this position of authority, and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Deserving death, really? What was Jesus' crime that he would deserve death? It was his claim. See, Jesus' crime was his claim that he was God and Messiah. In this day and age, I, I, as I said earlier, that you couldn't... To claim to be Messiah, they could probably got on board with, but as soon as Jesus made his claim... To be equal with God, that was blasphemy because no one is equal with God. And here Jesus' indictment would be that he made his claim to be God and they didn't believe him. And, and, and they didn't believe God himself could become the Messiah and they didn't believe Jesus could be both Messiah and God. And the Jewish religious leaders turned Jesus over now to the Roman authorities. The Roman authorities were, were experts of the most brutal form of punishment, crucifixion. And they bound Jesus, we read, and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And that's the way it's translated in English, but there's a demeaning tone in the actual Greek language, and I'm not a Greek scholar. I just, in, in studying this, you, you find this out, that, that this is actually a demeaning questional statement, question statement. It's almost like saying, you're the king of the Jews? I mean, you are? I mean, of all the people that could be up here, you're the king of the Jews? It's almost like this demeaning question that Pontius Pilate gives him, and Jesus answers him. You have said so. His response to Pontius Pilate, this Roman prefect, <laughs> neither affirmed or denied this claim and testifying only that Pilate has said it. Pilate was amazed by this. We continue to read, and it doesn't mean that Pilate believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but we do see that Pilate uses this opportunity to do what all politicians do. 
they leverage this for their political power. And he leverages this moment for his political power to gain favor with the people. And in this moment, Jesus presents Jesus to the crowd alongside a true insurrectionist named, and a murderer named Barabbas. And it was a Roman custom to release a prisoner in this time during a feast. And in this time, he, he, they, they would release this prisoner. And, and, and it was just the custom to let the people vote, give them what they want. And here's some irony in Mark. Here stands an innocent man and one clearly guilty of murder and insurrection. And the people say that they would rather see the guilty released and the innocent condemned. A foreshadowing that Jesus would innocently and willfully suffer for a guilty world. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? Why does he deserve crucifixion, beating? Yes, I can understand that. I mean, he's, he's also making a claim to be king. That's against the Roman, but that's not death. But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And now begins a parade of shame. And while other gospels talk about how crucifixion is a parade of physical brutality, Mark would share with his readers and you and I how Crucifixion was also a parade of shame and how they would sh destroy the person, destroy the mind and the psyche of the man. And Mark doesn't share with us the details of the historic brutality physically. He shows us the historic brutality emotionally and mentally, the shame that crucifixion would suffer, even to the extent of being exposed on a cross naked. See, Mark shows us the shame that Jesus would suffer for a world he loves. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail the king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him all to the complete essence that they were doing in these actions, they stripped him of that purple robe that cloak, and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Mark continues to reinforce what he wants you to know. Mark continues to reinforce why Jesus was crucified, his claim to be king and his claim to be God. He would write, and the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. This was the sign above Jesus' head. This was his crime. This is what Jesus was guilty of. Yes, he was guilty of being the king. And you know what? Yes, he was guilty of being God. See, this was the sign to really his true identity. This was a sign that his true identity, but the reality is, is when we don't see God for who he is, he be, his identity becomes a crime to who we are. Do you understand what I mean? Because our humanity and our sinful selfishness, our humanity, we want to be God. We want to call all the shots. 
We want things to go the way we want. In fact, if, if things don't go the way we want, we, we could say, hey, there, there's a better way that it could have gone. I, if I were in charge, I would. God, why didn't you? And we want to be that authority in our life. We want to be that king in that place. We want to, and so for God to be king and God to, to be uh, uh, that is, and, 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 and to not surrender to that, and not want that is, is really, that's the crime against my sinful, selfish humanity. Because I don't want to submit to anyone. I don't want to do any. I want to be in control of my own life. I want to be my own ruler. See, to resist God's authority is really our indictment of our own sin against God. And while this was their resistance to letting Jesus be their king, how often do we resist Jesus being our king? The parade of shame would continue. So they also, the chief priests with the scribes mocked him. They say to one another, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. In other words, if Jesus, this deliverer, if he can do all these miracles for other people, why doesn't he deliver himself? Now, in this moment, I believe Jesus knew two things. One, I knew that Jesus knew he had to die because Jesus' death was the only way that it would make possible that all of humanity who could put their trust in him, who would put their trust in him, would be set free, would have that penalty for their sin paid for in his death. We can't pay for that sin. He knew that he was the only way because he was the one who lived the perfect life. It's only through his death that he could pay for the penalty of all humanity's sin. And secondly, I believe Jesus knew that the only way for people to truly believe in him was not to do another miracle. Because that's what they were asking for, is another sign, another wonder. Give me another, take yourself down, and then we'll believe in you. You know, Jesus knew that the ultimate way that you're going to believe in him is not to do another miracle for you, not to give you, you know, the answer. Maybe, not to, you know, it might not be the best way to prove himself to you to answer that your prayer for finances or that God heals you or heals your friend or heal, heals your parent or your mother. He knew that the sign that would be ultimate for everyone, for them all to remember, was not to come down off the cross, but to come out of an empty tomb. And so we continue the story. That that time had come. And Jesus uttered a loud cry. And breathed his last. And this curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. A physical demonstration of what was the spiritual transformation for all of humanity. No longer would there, would there be a temple where people would have to come to a place to worship God. No longer would there be a barrier between God and humanity. Now humanity would not be divided by anything, not even divided by sin. We could have direct access with God in that temple. That curtain would be torn to the most holy place. And this now was a symbol that God was with humanity, that God could give humanity direct access to himself. Now humanity, created in God's image, could be the new temple. We would be the ones where God would inhabit us. No longer would God inhabit a place. God wanted to inhabit his people, his people, the ones who trust in him. See, Jesus' death destroyed the barrier to God 
the giver of life. And now the climax of Mark's story where tension is now at its peak and the greatest, uh, 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 is now the greatest moment as this king and God, this God king of all humanity has died. And now a new revelation is revealed. And it's not revealed through a disciple. It's not revealed through a prophet. It's revealed through a Roman centurion, possibly a Roman centurion that was responsible for Jesus being on the cross that day. And we read, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way, he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. The Roman centurion said in this way, saw that in this way. I mean, he saw many people die. Maybe they would curse the people around him. But Jesus, the source of all love, would be the only one in his world that he saw who would suffer like this for the sake of the world he loves. Truly, this was the son. In Mark's gospel, this Roman centurion is the first person to confess other than Jesus who Jesus is. And Mark tells this story so you too can come to the same conclusion that this Roman centurion came. And you can have the security of knowing who Jesus is because of what Jesus had done. Even a Roman centurion came to believe and you too can believe. See, our faith in Christ is confessed at this cross. Of Christ. It's, it's so meaningful to know that the closer you get to the suffering of Jesus, the closer you are and the more you are aware of what Jesus suffered on your behalf, the closer you get to the cross, the stronger your faith will be. And next, Mark turns that focus not to the close proximity of what's going on around the cross, but to some ladies who are not so close, some important ladies. They were part of Jesus' ministry. They were part of, and these, there were also women, Mark writes, looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and the younger, and of Joseph, and of Salome. These women loved Jesus, and they watched as Jesus gave up his life. From a distance, they would watch as <clears throat> Joseph of Arimathea, after he would approach Pontius Pilate and ask for Jesus' body, and it would be confirmed by a Roman soldier that Joseph of Arimathea would take Jesus' body carefully off the cross in order to quickly prepare him for burial according to the Roman custom, and he would bring them to his own tomb. He would let Jesus borrow his tomb, and he would put Jesus in there. And these ladies would wait because they knew that Joseph could only do so much to prepare Jesus' body to, to honor the, the Jewish custom. And they show up three days later. And when the Sabbath had passed, these ladies are there, Mary Magdalene, Mary, uh, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. In other words, they were there to prepare his body for its eternal resting. Why? Because they weren't ready for Jesus to come back to life. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You know why they asked that question? Because they didn't believe Jesus was going to be alive. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. 
And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples. And look at this. And Peter. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples. And Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. This was that true moment of amazement and wonder, but fear. What had happened? And they were terrified. And they said nothing to anyone. And look what Mark says. For they were afraid. You know, a lot of times we can become afraid and as we follow God. Fear can grab our hearts. I get that. It's interesting to me that the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter. This is Peter's account. You know, the night before Jesus went to the cross, Peter failed Jesus three times. Three times people came to him and, hey, aren't you connected with Jesus? Isn't he your rabbi, your teacher? No. Three times. Just like Jesus said, Peter would. And Peter was like, no, I'll never fail you, God. I'll never fail you, Jesus. Yet Peter failed Jesus three times. In Jesus' most critical moment, Peter was not there for him. Go tell Peter. It's almost like Jesus wanted Peter to know. You may have failed me but I'm not failing you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you experience. You may feel, God, I have failed you. I, I, I've tried, I've got doubts. I don't know where it is. I have fears. I have all of these things and I, I failed you. And when you know that the angel said, go tell Peter, because Peter, Jesus is for you. Even though you have failed, you know what the good news is? Jesus is for you. Your failures, your regrets, uh, your, your failures are, yes, a reminder of our sinful nature, but that is also the reason that Jesus came to show his love for us. Jesus came to face that curse of death that our sin deserves, yes. And the good news is that even though we are like Peter, even though we don't get it like him, even though we deny him, even though we defy him, even though we, uh, we, we, we fail him, Jesus is still for us. And when you realize that Jesus is for you, you don't have to be like Peter. Notice Peter wasn't there at the cross, I mean, at the tomb. Notice that he wasn't there. He was afraid for his very own life. And when you know what Jesus has done, when you know that Jesus is for you, you have nothing to fear. There is no regret, no failure. There, there, is, there is nothing that you fear when you find Jesus. See, this is the good news. Through the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus arrested the curse of death so that you and all who believe in him can find life in him. His name was Jairus. 
a leader in the synagogue, father of a dying girl. One day, Jairus, full of sorrow, pleaded at the feet of Jesus for him to come and heal his daughter. Jesus agreed to go, but before they arrived at the house, Jairus' daughter had died. But Jesus knew this had to happen, for God's glory would be put on display that day. As the crowd was crying and wailing loudly, Jesus approached the girl, took her by the hand, and said, Little girl, get up. Lost without hope, to Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life She was an outcast, made unclean by the bleeding she had endured for 12 years, hemorrhaging not only blood, but all her money trying to search for a solution. But as she soon found out, no flaw, no curse, no disorder is too great for the Son of God. In a large crowd, she made her way towards him, thinking if she could only touch his clothes, she would be healed. And when she reached out to touch the cloak of Jesus, the bleeding that had tainted her for years stopped. Redeemed from the inside out, Jesus, the great healer, reclaimed beauty from the ashes. The woman, once orphaned by society, had been made new and was called daughter of the king. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. And my orphan heart was given. Fisherman by trade, disciple of Jesus. As a friend in Jesus' inner circle, Peter was witness to the many miracles and healings of the Messiah. Peter's strong faith and sharp tongue would be emboldened continuously for the work of Christ. When Jesus was arrested and stood trial, Peter denied knowing him three times, but in Peter's brokenness, God was already beginning to restore him preparing his faith to be unshaken, preparing his tongue to preach the future. For Peter, everything was about to change. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom. Friends and family watched in horror as he breathed his last breath. Was this how it would end? This Jesus, the King of the Jews, the promised Messiah, reduced to public death on a criminal's cross? He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He healed the outcast. He taught his disciples everything they needed to know. And yet, is it finished? What kind of Savior is this? Our Savior's blade. On a criminal's cross 
darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. They carried his body from the cross to a borrowed grave. A great stone was rolled across the entrance to the tomb, and Roman soldiers were appointed to stand guard. There, Jesus' lifeless body laid for three days. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled the stone away. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? With breath in his lungs and all power from heaven, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, came forth from the grave, and he set us free. of Jesus are proof of his claim. He is God. He is King. And he is over everything and this God King is for you. Please take a seat. Peter shared this story. This is why Mark said this is too good not to share. This is why it needs to be archived. And this is why the Holy Spirit and his miracle has, has preserved this story. So you too could come to the same conclusion that a Roman centurion came to. So on your own, you could come to understand who Jesus is, not from the faith of your parents, not because of someone else, but because you have encountered the story of who Jesus is and see what he's done for you through his life, through his death and his resurrection. And this is the Facebook memory that is seared into eternity <laughs> through scripture that is preserved. And I don't, if you struggle with the story of the gospels, I want you to know that this is, a, this is an incredible way that God has preserved his story so that you too, could know 
that your God and your King is not against you. He's for you. And when you realize that he is for you, you don't have to live in fear. When you realize that God is for you, you have nothing to fear. You don't have to feel your failures. You don't have to fear your regrets. You don't have to fear pain. You don't have to fear sorrow. You don't have to fear sadness. You don't have to fear anything that would come against you. You don't have to fear unhappiness because you can have a joy that goes beyond your circumstances because your father in heaven is for you. If you don't know, remember anything else, may you remember this, that your God and King is alive and he is for you. You have nothing to fear when your faith is in him. Your God and King is for you. You have nothing to fear when your faith is in him. He is alive, yes, and he is, because he's alive, he proved who he was, he was God. He, has the, he is King with authority over all. And through his death, that is the one thing you need to remember. That is his proof of his love. Because he's for you, you have nothing to fear. And you can put your faith in him. The empty tomb became the first place where the gospel of Jesus was proclaimed. <laughs> the angel announced that Jesus of Nazareth, that you look, you're looking for, who was crucified, he's not here, he's risen. And what Mark began his book with as the beginning of the gospel of Jesus is now finished and it is complete in the completion of the gospel of the life of Jesus who is crucified and risen. And this is the narrative of this new humanity. This is the narrative that brings a new beginning to people who put their faith in him that you are not identified by your failure. You're not identified by your sin. You're not identified by the shame that's put on you because Jesus bore all of that on your behalf. And yes, life is hard, but life goes beyond this life. A new beginning is now possible because Jesus arrested sin and he arrested death to make this new humanity possible. See, a new humanity is now possible for those who believe Jesus is alive. We have new life because of the one who came back to life. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus and what Easter reminds us of. And because he came back to life, we don't fear, we don't even fear death itself because Jesus took authority over the one thing all humanity fears, death. And because Jesus took authority over that, you have nothing to fear. This Jesus came to show you that life does not end in death anymore. Yes, our bodies die, but we will live forever together with him. You will not face the sorrow forever that there is an end to the pain. There's end to the sadness. There's an end to the sorrow. And while our bodies die, we will live with him forever. This is the hope that we have. Life comes after death. And the greatest miracle God would ever show us is in Jesus' resurrection. You need to remember that the greatest miracle God will ever show you is in his resurrection. So while it, continue to pray for him to heal, continue to pray for him to provide, but don't let that be the proof of his identity because the proof of his identity is in his resurrection. And when you have that full faith in that, you have nothing to fear. Another irony in the book of Mark is 
what the end result was of every physical miracle except the resurrection. See, every miracle that Jesus performed only delayed the inevitable death. Lazarus had to die again. Every blind person Jesus healed would eventually have to die. Every person that Jesus performed that financial miracle and provided for their daily meal that day when they were in the desert, they eventually would face death. And every miracle only delayed that in the inevitable death. But Jesus' ultimate miracle guarantees the impossible life because he's a God who is for you. While death is inevitable, the sting of death is avoidable. We don't have to fear death because the resurrection proves what Jesus has for us, life and life forever, life beyond this life, life that is with God forever. This is what the resurrection proves. This is a daily memory. And so while we celebrate this annually as a church tradition, let this be a daily reminder, be a daily reminder of Jesus' death and resurrection that guarantees you life beyond this life. See, Jesus freely gives life to those whose faith is in him. And he did that by taking authority over Satan, evil, sin, and death when God raised him back to life. This is the good news. And it's the beginning of life in him. Believing that Jesus, the Messiah, is the son of God and king of all, is the beginning of new life in him. So what do we do with this? Well, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Today could be the first day that you put your trust in him. Maybe it's been a long time since you followed Jesus as your king. Maybe today is a day that you put your faith in him for the first time in a long time. For those of us that have believed in Jesus, maybe your next step is just to say, God, I I, I, I'm sorry for their areas of my life that I have not allowed you to be king and I've wanted to be that king in my own life. Maybe you need to just confess that to him. But maybe this is an opportunity for you to just constantly remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that you have nothing to fear. Maybe there's been things in your life that you've had lived in fear of the failures, the past, the hardships, the suffering. You can put your faith in him because you have nothing to fear because he's overcome And the third, I think we all could join in this, join the angel, join the disciples, and we go and tell it. After all, this is a message that's too good not to share. Our prayer partners are gonna be available over here. They'd love to pray for anyone for any reason. And I wanna pray for you before we leave. Father, thank you for showing us your love by sending Jesus to live the perfect life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve to die, to pay the penalty for all our sin. Thank you for bringing him back to life to prove that he has the authority to give life to whoever believes in him. Today, there are people that need to put their faith in him today, right now. As they do that, may you bring them into what we've all experienced, a new life in you. As they continue to trust in you and follow you, may you give them this life and bring them into the the life that you have for them. Thank you for that. God, for those of us that have followed you and our faith is in you, may we have the certainty that every day we can walk without fear because our faith is in you. And Father, may we join you in sharing your love, this good news with the people all around us, because this news is too good not to share. In Jesus' name, our God and King, we say, amen. God bless you, Westside.
Happy Easter. Happy Easter.